Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us on The Focus Shot. This is a film podcast where we focus in on specific careers of directors, actors, and genres. I'm David, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Anthony John Franco. Hello, hello. How's it going out there? That's it. It's all for me. All right. Thank you, Anthony. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great contribution, as always. I came in hot and then just really fizzled out quick. This week, we'll be focusing a director spotlight on Taika Watiti. You might know him from some of his more well-known movies, such as Thor Ragnarok, What We Do in the Shadows, and more recently, Jojo Rabbit. But we're going to be covering everything from his beginning of his film career all the way up to his future and the exciting things that he has coming up in the pipeline. So, Ant, would you like to kick it off with some of the background on Taika Waititi? Yeah, sure. So Taika Waititi, super interesting guy. I mean, he, from uh, New Zealand, his mom was a school teacher, his dad was an artist, his mom was of Russian Jewish ancestry, and his dad was of Maori, which is like the indigenous native people of New Zealand. That reflects a lot in his films. You see a lot about the Maori people, and that's usually where it's based when it's in New Zealand, like within that community definitely has taken some of those things in his younger life up through his film career. Some interesting thing about Taika Waititi, he's definitely has a vision and just hearing him speak about some of his ideals and what he brings to a film, he's doesn't see himself as a filmmaker necessarily, he just sees himself as a general creative person and tries to bring his vision and his voice to anything he does. I mean, he does photography, he does stop motion he did painting for a while he he was an actor before he was a filmmaker so he's really tried a bunch of different things has been able to be pretty unique across the board he also has you know a lot of his own sense of humor that dry kind of humor that he was a stand-up comedian for a little while as well so he's he's really a renaissance man in that respect as he was doing an acting he he said the moment that he said he wanted to create film and, and not really be an actor, you know, still act here and there, but wants to make his own stuff is he was playing a stripper on a TV series and he was like, what am I doing? What does my life come down to? He made a short film that two years later got nominated for an Academy Award short film, Two Cars, One Night, was about um, just two young kids. And that was another thing he always mentioned that he likes to see things from a child's perspective, really take that lens on everything he does keep it kind of innocent uh yeah earn him an academy award and then just keeping with taika watiti's humor during the academy awards he tried to convince everyone to pretend to be asleep when they got nominated and nobody else went along with it so he kind of looked like <laughs> an idiot just falling asleep during the academy awards but. <laughs> um yeah so then that led him up to his first film release which was eagle versus shark so you want to talk a little about that dave yeah, Eagle vs. Shark. So, I'll be honest, this was the movie I was dreading the most. Uh, I think it's the only one that has like a rotten score on Rotten Tomatoes. And uh, this was released June 15, 2007. Uh, it's just a romantic comedy movie that focuses on this girl who likes this guy. And that's, it's really a, it's, it's a very simple premise. Yeah, first films I feel like could go one way or the other. Like, it's... It's either it's like a blast out of the gate because they've had this pent up for so long, or it's just like a little inkling of what they're gonna have later on. But I, don't, I think this is the latter for me. This is a movie that Taika Waititi wrote the screenplay for, based on the character of Lily, who Lauren Horsley helped develop. 
he was given a budget of $1.35 million and shot in New Zealand during 25 days with a crew of about 35 people. So it's pretty interesting just to like see how small of a crew he had to develop this movie for his first movie, I guess, makes sense. But I'm sure it limited a lot of what he was able to actually do. Yeah. That being said, this movie, like I said, it has a 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, 55 on Metacritic. It's not too well received what did you think of the movie when you watched it i thought it was all right i thought it could have obviously been as great as the other movies i you know i don't think it was that up to that level but i thought it had some little inklings of there like the comedy was dry but it was super dry the characters were outsiders like he does in a lot of his films but they were super outsiders but not necessarily some of the total redeeming factors of the other characters that he would write later on so i thought it was good i I actually particularly like the stop motion thrown in there i've never really seen that in the movie but just a little thing because a little piece of taika that i feel like was in there he just threw rotten apple motion i felt like it was really stupid (laughs) (laughs) i uh because originally i was just like oh this is kind of cool but like i got what the message was about yeah it was a little heavy-handed I felt like they were talking to like a three-year-old in terms yeah. of like, what's a metaphor? And it's because the apple that's rotten represents this character and the apple that yeah. isn't rotten represents... It's just like, I get it. I originally, because I had such low expectations, I was actually like, wow, this is actually pretty solid. I enjoyed some of the awkward, funny humor at the beginning. Yeah. To kind of like summarize the characters, it kind of focuses on two characters, uh, Lily and Jared. And Lily's this loser who has no parents, she has no job, and basically that's kind of it and so it's like oh then there's like this guy that like she visited at her job who i mean if i'm being honest he is not he's kind of a loser in his own yeah way. is he I, I mean, he's pretty much loser. napoleon dynamite right i mean like, yeah <laughs> that's the only way i describe him like the guy he lies he plays with nunchucks like he just tries to seem cool and it's just very evident that he's not <laughs> i mean it's, it's not it's not even like he's like a nerdy nice guy it's just he's kind of a jerk when i say loser i don't actually mean like in a mean sense i mean they actually all they do is lose like they lost all these people or they just they don't have anything so i mean that in a very literal sense for the most part jared who also equally has seemingly nothing kind of like plays coy to lily like he isn't really interested in her until she kind of acts interested in him and so he kind of is like oh yeah i'll kind of mess around with this and he invites him to like their family's home and it's just kind of this awkward interaction because Jared's not really close to this family, but like he takes out a lot of his, he doesn't really pay attention to Lily though. And I, I guess like they try to like make him a more human character. Cause like the idea of the movie is you're seeing Jared, Oh, his family doesn't care about him. And it's like this, he's just looking for validation for himself. Yeah. But... Tension's like him trying to impress his dad, but then he's like trying to make Lily out something she's not and not even paying attention to her at all. Then <laughs> The, the whole family likes her and is being so nice to her and, and he's just sitting there you know not really knowing how to take it yeah but like the thing is i and i, I think where i thought the movie was gonna go was okay lily she gained some self-respect for herself as she should and realized okay she does not need to be with this guy but instead she just kind of doubles down on being with this guy and i think that's what really ruined the movie the most for me is it just took me out i felt like maybe this is like a product of its time because this wasn't like 2007 that they made this maybe this is how they viewed women during that time but like i don't know i personally when you're trashed that much i don't see how there's any possible romantic relationship that evolves from that 
Yeah, if they made him like 20% more likable, it would have the message I think would have landed a lot better because it's like, oh, okay, she's the only one that really sees him for him. His family doesn't even know like that they're just in the end. His family doesn't even know that his favorite animal is an eagle or whatever. So it's, I feel like it could have landed if the guy was more likable and didn't treat her so bad. But then it's just like, oh, yeah, she, she likes him and understands him, but she's also being kind of emotionally abused by him. I don't think there's a single moment in this movie where Jared actually gives a likable moment to Lily. And that's kind of the biggest flaws. It's just, I never bought this relationship. Did you buy uh, buy into the whole other aspect of the movie that he really wanted to beat up his high school bully? That kind of just pops up out of, like they talk about it <laughs> occasionally. Like there's a line of dialogue and then it's like, oh, and now we're here. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, like the, the first time they sleep together, the second afterwards, he just calls this guy and I'm going to kill you. And she's just, what? And then that just doesn't come up again until the very end of the movie where he's like yeah i'm gonna go beat up my high school bully this is what's happening now and she's like yeah do it i'm gonna cheer you on it, it's really awkward and pacing i get what taiko was trying to do and again it's so stupidly heavy-handed in the claymation like they basically have this apple that uh jared bites into and he's like oh it's rotten and then lily bites into her apple and she's like oh it's sweet and i'm like ah ha ha because i get it because all the apples look the same on the outside but on the inside one's rotten and one isn't and it's it's just stupid and then they had this whole claymation thing where like there's a rotten apple and it rolls down to the beach and it's like hanging out at the beach shore and then the normal apple comes up and it's like hey there <laughs> the ants are crawling all over it yeah i'm just i get it <laughs> what about what about the stop motion of them at the end randomly it was it's terrible going around <laughs> it was terrible like it didn't fit at all with the vibe or the emotional thing of the movie it was this random thing it meant nothing but i liked a lot that he was trying things out like he was trying to find out what, what would work for him and what wouldn't like the humor worked in some part it didn't it didn't work in some parts you know the quirkiness worked to an extent but not like when it's full-fledged over the top. This is a good movie example of where he learned how not to make a movie. So the good news is, I, with the exception of this, I think all the rest are really good. Yeah. Uh, he hasn't struck out at all. So, But that being said, I did watch it all the way through, and I didn't hate my time with it. I've seen worse. And I think it's interesting because you do see a lot of inklings of what Taika Waititi will hone in on, his strengths, uh, that will be used throughout the rest of his movie, specifically with, likable characters i think lily is inherently a likable character and that's established very quickly very early on in the movie and you're hooked into lily i think without lily this movie is it falls apart yeah so fortunately because of his character work that's what pulls this movie along and holds it together what about her brother his whole role is just to quote ran movies at random times <laughs> he just quotes terminator and austin powers for no reason in no context yeah, so, I don't know, the characters, there's, like, one character in the movie, really, that's any any way fleshed out. Yeah, Unless that's... you want to include the bully at the end, who has really, <laughs> really come to terms with himself. Uh, I think, I think I'm good. <laughs> it's, I don't <laughs> think there's too much. Uh, and, of course, you get Taika Waititi has, like, a small little cameo in the movie and his photographs, which will be, like, a running trend through basically every movie he does, where he either stars in it or has some type of smaller role within his movies i think it's pretty rare for a director to use themselves and their movies as frequently as taika does are we are we spoiling this movie uh is there anything to really spoil go ahead <laughs> i was you just really gonna say no i was just gonna say the the ending where if he wasn't not likable already he beats up the crippled bully i mean 
it doesn't yeah. get much worse, right? <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh, I see where you're coming from there. Um, I, I get, I get you. I, I understand you were angry. <laughs> like he beats up a guy in a wheelchair, and she's just fine with it. Yeah, it's like, oh, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, it just really goes too much. It does. It really does. <laughs> but he lives, he live and learn, live and learn. Fortunately, his next movie, Boy, I think is it's a much better stand up. He uh, went on to direct. Uh, this movie in 2010. The idea is that this focuses around a boy, if you will, and he's looking forward to the return of his father. He has mainly grown up and provides for his siblings on his own, and his father is kind of his hero, it seems like. And uh, it's we just see what his life happens when his father shows back up in his life. What did you think about this movie? From reading into his background, it seems like this is his most personal, or he put a lot of himself in the character of Boy, because his parents divorced when he was five years old. He mainly lived with his mom, didn't see his like dad too much, so you could tell where a lot of that inspiration came from, you know, just growing up with his grandma and, and his family around him. So I, I really liked it. I thought it was very different. I mean, he had the Michael Jackson thing, like his, the character was ob- obsessed with Michael Jackson, but I thought the main theme that you fantasize what your dad's going to be like you know for him is not there you think he's going to be something great and it's you know really coming of age story of him just realizing oh maybe my dad isn't all these great things that i imagine or hope he is and maybe it's just a guy so i i thought that theme really resonated and i liked the character of boy i liked taika because when he's acting because he just has a great sense of humor uh what do you think dave thought this was a pretty interesting movie too i i really liked it a lot actually one little interesting bit of trivia with this it's interesting is the actor who's going to play boy james rolleston he did a great job by the way i know children actors are typically hit or miss this is definitely a hit in terms of really good acting yeah absolutely apparently there was another actor that was already in place when rolleston turned up for a costume fitting as just an extra but what td gave him an audition and Basically, two days before they started shooting the film, he was like, actually, I want you to be the lead role. Here's this guy in two days before they started filming the whole movie throughout the other guy. Yeah, and for, for a young director, at like kind of the start of his film career, that's a big move to make. I really enjoyed the story a lot. I think this encapsulates a lot of what Eagle vs. Shark was trying to do. I think you're seeing similar themes where you introduce this character, boy's father, right? It's, oh, this is someone that the boy really looks up to and someone that's really important to boy. And as it kind of goes on, you kind of see cracks start to form the relationship that maybe this is not the hero that he thought he the father would be. You know, he's a little bit physically abusive. He's a little bit uh, verbally abusive to this child. And it does not seem like he actually has the, ch- the child's best interests at heart, as he initially had tried to say. And so you're just kind of watching this fallout between this boy's relationship with his father and really coming to reality of what his father really is. It's something that I think Eagle vs. Shark was trying to do and failed miserably at with uh, the girlfriend just kind of falling right back in love. Whereas this, it's, I think it plays out in a much more realistic manner, I would hope. Maybe the, maybe the point is maybe that maybe things don't play out this way. I know there's abusive relationships and such. Uh, kind of form but i don't know they have a lot of background to their family before you even enter in like the younger brother rocky he thinks he has superpowers because his mom died while giving birth to him and that's like a big heavy thing that's just in the background that it's not really like it's talked about a little bit but it's not really like fully fleshed out or addressed it's just oh that's going on and then the dad's relationship with the 
with him and with the with the Alamine, the other boy, is just you don't know what it is going into the movie, and you don't know because like boy you're kind of like what is this who is this dad i don't know is he ever going to come in the movie i'm not sure and then he shows up out of nowhere you know where where's he been all this time you're wondering yourself and it's that he just got out of jail and he's come back to get some money and he's not really there for them and not really there to build a relationship with them even though they both at least boy want it so really interesting dynamic in that whole family it's crazy, honestly, just even seeing, like, the poster now, because um, the poster shows, like, what is happiest moment, like, closer to the beginning of the movie, and you're just watching this childlike innocence of happiness and hope just slowly fade throughout the movie uh, to where he's, I mean, there's, like, you just see the light literally leave his eyes over uh, the realization of his father, which I thought was just, I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking. Yeah, and he gets and he gets deeper and deeper into it. Like he has his group of friends in the beginning, and his grandma, and everything's all right. You know, at least it seems that way. He's going, he's playing with his friends. His, his grandma's make food for him, whatever. And then after his dad shows up, he's a little more distance from his friends. He thinks his dad's the coolest guy. His dad's in a gang. He wants to be in that gang. You know, his dad's digging for treasure, that money, and he helps him all the time. So he he starts to become more distance with the life that he had before, and he starts going down path of his dad and it's he's just like maybe this isn't what's cool i think that i think the turning point in the movie is when the dad gets beat up and, and gets in a fight and he's imagining like this is going to be some elaborate fight the dad's going to start fighting them off like kung fu but it's just not he just gets beat down and then he turns on them and, and starts blaming the kids and yelling at the kids for it so i think that's like a, a huge breaking point for alamine and, and rocky both I really enjoyed some of the camera work in this. Um, specifically, there's one scene where he's sitting on top of a bridge and you just watch this camera just kind of... I Talk about a more subtly done metaphor, by the way. Uh, you see literally the camera turn the perspective of the world that the boy is viewing literally upside down. It's yeah. kind of like this idea that his world is turned upside down because it really has. The whole scene, I mean, I know we'll talk about it with some of his other movies, but filmed in New Zealand and just beautiful landscapes. I mean, the, the entire movie was just great to look at another thing too is like the dad not wanting to be called dad so he tells boy to call him shogun and it's just it plays right into boys you know vision of him like oh he's a samurai he's really cool he's awesome but it's also you know in reality it's just he's not comfortable being called dad and he's not comfortable being a dad and it's it's interesting how that reflects both sides of it right it's, it's his vision and his imagination of what his dad could be and it's also his dad lacking of being an actual dad or a good dad i won't spoil it but i really enjoyed the ending of this movie and how they handled a realistic depiction of what would inevitably happen with this relationship uh because it's not like the situation where oh it's a happy ending the dad sees the error of his ways and everyone lives happily ever after because that wouldn't happen but you get this depiction instead that goes a different way while still paying off, I think, the relationships that have been established. So um, I, I really recommend this movie. I don't think it's streaming anywhere, unfortunately. So you have to rent it for like four bucks off iTunes or whatever. But it's, uh, it's well worth anyone's time. Yeah. Great film. So the next movie on this list is Taika's arguably most notable movie, especially more recently, uh, outside of Thor Ragnarok. What We Do in the Shadows. This movie came out in 2014. 
and it had a budget of 1.6 million and it did really well it has a 96 percent of ron tomatoes which is really good this was based off a short film that taika watiti and clement wrote and directed earlier on in their career and then they later just adapted this into what we have now in this movie what we do in the shadows and it's launched this uh this franchise actually that they've uh they started a tv series i'm sure you've seen on fx or hulu uh what we do in the shadows i think they just finished season two and they've also got in the plant in the works right now a sequel for uh something that i think will focus in on the werewolves so uh this has really just been his little franchise that he's kind of really honed in on and expanded on it stars Jermaine clement and taika watiti you might know Jermaine clement from things like moana where he plays uh the crab villain character or the puff of cloud in rick and morty when he sings that moon people song uh and then obviously taika watiti as viago King the argument that Jermaine clement is typecast to singing animals and inanimate objects I don't know if you think that's a singing object. Um, but yeah, so he really broke out of his uh, thing. He also was an eagle versus shark. He's kind of like Taika Waititi's main partner that he works with. And uh, yeah, this movie, it's the office of vampires. That's really the best way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that hits it on the head. It's the same awkward mockumentary humor just with vampire roommates. Yeah, I, I think what you see in this movie it's this is very much just a straight up comedy and i think that's fine but i will say i i think one of my inherent problems with this movie and i know a lot of people love it so hopefully i don't get too much hate but there's no real plot to this movie and because there's no plot there's no character arc or development there's no urgency within the story to invade the audience for the audience to keep watching and i think when you just do something that's just straight up comedy what inevitably will happen to most people is they'll get burnt out after a while i know personally i really enjoyed it and then around the 50 minute mark i was starting to be like okay what are we doing where are we going and there was still like another 40 minutes left and i'm just i kept checking my watch and i'm like where i get it feel like if there had been maybe something else to help hook me into the movie, I would have enjoyed it more. That being said, I did enjoy the comedy quite a bit, but I think that's inherently one of the problems, especially upon a rewatch of this movie for this podcast, that really stood out to me was just the lack of any real reason to watch this movie. It's a lot of fun when you first watch it. it it's funny, and it, a lot of the jokes land, they're unexpected, because you haven't seen it in this format, but agreed, once you see the format, it got turned into a television series and you, an episode level and, and you see it over and over again. And it, it was fine for the movie, in my opinion. I thought funny and well done. Like, everything took me by surprise. The werewolves coming in and them having beef with the werewolves was, like, funny and, and unexpected for me. But then once you start seeing it over and over in different formats and, and along the show, it, it does wear off. And Taika Waititi even said about the show, he didn't want to make it initially, or at least he didn't want to act in it because... You know, you can only play a vampire so many times, and he didn't really want to exhaust it out the idea. So I get that perspective. I definitely get where he's coming from there and where you're coming from. But I did enjoy it when watching it. I thought a lot of the jokes were funny. I thought just the concepts within the film were really funny, like the Nosferatu vampire. When I first saw that, I was like, this I is genius. <laughs> just, just, just throw a random Nosferatu vampire in with the mix because that's the type of vampire. So that was funny i mean them just getting up to date on modern technology was pretty funny them walking around in bars just with cloaks on and you know 
looking stupid it was pretty funny so all those little things i thought were interesting and cool my, my favorite scene definitely in the whole film i think was taiko Titi viago tries to do hypnosis but he's not expert at hypnosis and the police walk in and he tries to get them he and you don't really know whether he's they're gonna find out or not because there's dead bodies all over the floor <laughs> from them drinking their blood and, and they just keep keep going back like what is that Oh, never mind. You have a fire inspector. The wordplay in this movie is hilarious. There's like one scene where it's just like, oh man, do do the bloody dishes. And then (laughs) the camera pans over and it's literally the dishes are just covered and drenched in blood. And then there's another really funny scene where uh, there's a guy who's like, no, I'm going to stay home and do my dark bidding on the internet. And then (laughs) he's just literally bidding on an item on eBay or something. So I've really enjoyed that kind of humor a lot. Uh, It's really funny. Uh, Very Mel Brooksian, I feel. And yeah, I, I think humor like that really helped translate. And also just the overall likability. Again, I think something Taiko T nails, nails in every film that he does is the likability of these characters from the get-go. That first, the second movie starts, you are, it goes right into Viago, Taiko Titi's character, and you're in. His like enthusiasm, his likability, it's on screen, his, it's just oozing out, and you just want to keep watching and seeing what this guy does. And like, he just comes across as fun, very, very charismatic. Yeah, I really didn't know where, what to expect this movie when going because I didn't realize it was a mockumentary type format before starting to watch it. At first, I was like, oh, this is going to be a vampire movie. You know, I guess it's going to be funny. But then when one of the first scenes is just them fighting over one of them not doing the dishes or one of them not keeping the apartment clean, I was like, this is hilarious. These are vampires fighting over normal roommate stuff. <laughs> so it was definitely entertaining to watch. It was very enjoyable. And then they also like helped introduce like the idea of how vampires work when they add in like an unintended new vampire to the pack and seeing how he reacts. And so it's, uh, it's it helps kind of just be your lens into this world and seeing some, how the elements work and explaining things, which I think is done pretty well. But the humor's the humor's fun, and it's it's a fun movie. I think you said you started watching the show, right? What we do in the shadows? Yeah, I watched a few episodes, and it, it was funny at first. And I think it just grows tired after a little while. Just the format you've seen it. You, I don't know how many vampire jokes you can make, but it's witty. It you know it definitely brings over that wit. I think Jeremy Clement had a lot to do with it, and Taika I know directed a few episodes or, or helped out with some of the episodes. So I think it brings over the same feel and the same world, but it just gets burnt out after a little while of the same concept. That being said, like, again, but I think it's really great. If there's a Taiko TD movie to watch, it should be one of them. That being said, I think all of them should be watched outside of Eagle vs. Shark, so take that as you will. Again, I don't believe this is streaming anywhere. Uh, the TV show, What We Did in the Shadows, is on Hulu. I kind of watched an episode of it, and uh, I'll be honest, I, it didn't, didn't love it. me in. No, I, I wanted to love it, too. I, I, I'm probably going to go back to it. I really did. I, I like the humor, but something with the TV show just didn't initially resonate with me. Might have just been how I was feeling that day. I don't know. Yeah, the only other thing I want to add is a pretty funny concept was just the one human in the mix. New vampire's friend. He's like, can, can he still hang out with us even though he's not a vampire? And he just starts joining him. They all love him. <laughs> <laughs> and they love him more than more than the new vampire guy and he gets jealous it's just a funny funny little bit but definitely agree if you haven't seen any taiko t's movie this is a great entry point it's fun you get a sense i think you get a good sense of his humor fresh to see a comedy about this stuff that you haven't necessarily seen especially with the quality of writing that taiko Watiti brings and his comedic timing and and type of humor so it's really well done 100 percent and that, uh, that brings us to our next movie, Hunt for the Wilder People.
This was a movie that was released on January 22nd, 2016 to the Sundance Festival. Uh, it, it received a limited North American release June 24th, 2016. This has received critical acclaim. Again, Taika gets on the charts. Does really well box office-wise. This actually did really well. It made $23.2 million off a $2.5 million budget. So it did. Uh, got a really good return. And just the overall production of the movie kind of focused around Taika wanting to adapt the book Wild Pork and Watercress. And this was, again, back in 2005 when he was still playing around with a lot of his earlier movies. And so he completed multiple different drafts and eventually got the opportunity to help make this. It was shot over five weeks and it shot with a single camera, mostly the entire movie. A lot of the movie kind of focuses around, uh, there's this juvenile delinquent, Ricky Baker. He gets kind of put with this new family, Bella Faulkner and Hector. You just kind of see him adapt to life with them. And then, unfortunately, it, I mean, it's... It's kind of hard not to spoil this plot point. Yeah, it's very early on. Plot of the movie, but there, well, there there's a tragedy that occurs, <laughs> and uh, Ricky and Hector kind of get stuck together in the woods. Where did Bella go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, Bella, Bella dies, and uh, Hector and Ricky uh, they get kind of stuck together. Hector is like leaving. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go more my wife in the woods, and Ricky also kind of tries to run away as well to avoid being sent back into child welfare services because he's told basically i like how mourning your wife in the woods is the normal thing is it not? glossed over it yeah he's gonna go mourn my wife in the woods <laughs> that's that's how that's how i mourn that's the last three <laughs> because ricky unfortunately has gone through so many families he's told basically if you lose this family you will be put in like jail <laughs> is that what they told him yeah like juvie and Heck was like, hey man, Bella kind of wanted you. I'm not really good at this whole thing. I don't know about all this. Neither of us came from families, so we were pretty, she was pretty passionate about it, but I don't, I'm like, I like to live in the woods. I'm kind of to myself. So he was, I guess, not able to have them, so they were going to take him back, job tech services, and, or at least do a reassessment to see if he's a, a capable foster dad or without Bella. So I think from there on out, I don't know what. What do you just think? Them, yeah, just them just living them in the too. woods, right? Yeah, trying to avoid uh, services because, like, then they're on the run. Basically, I guess. Yeah, he it, like. There's circumstances that happen where they get stranded in the woods for so long. They think that father's basically kidnapped the boy. Then it becomes this manhunt for these two characters. What do you think of this one, Dave? I I think this is his best movie by far. I agree. I I didn't know um how you felt about it, but I had not heard of this one at all before looking into all of Taika Waititi's movies for the pod, but this one by and far just blew me away compared to everything, and I was so impressed by it. All of the characters were so fleshed out. The plot just kept moving. The landscapes were absolutely beautiful. You know, it took... Boy was also in New Zealand, and, and you saw a lot of landscape, but this one, you're in the woods. You're in New Zealand mountains, so it's just incredible. Yeah, some beautiful landscapes in this movie. It was really well shot. Just from the beginning of the movie, I was pretty hooked because the mom is breaking down his walls. You know, Ricky is messing around. He's he's making jokes. He's not too comfortable with with the new mom, but it's just she she slowly breaks him down. Again, Taika Waititi. I mean, like this guy is the master of creating the likable character within the first five minutes of the movie. I think the mom Bella, right? She's only on screen for what seven minutes. Yep. Uh, it's it's but that seven minutes you become so invested in that character and like what she's about 
and you become so invested in Ricky Baker's character, who at first is like, oh, this is just some punk. But then you get to see his side, like the good side of him. And you just establish, oh, these are great characters. These are, I'm, I am hooked in their relationship. And I mean, honestly, even knowing, I think, anyone that's listening to this podcast that knows what's going to happen, I don't think it ruins anything because you're still going to feel something when that relationship inherently breaks and you lose Bella because it's devastating. You feel like this is the first time this Ricky character is connected with anyone. And you really just hope for the best. But unfortunately, things don't play out that way. Yeah, but I think they play out okay. I mean, she dies. Oh, well, in the beginning, yes, at that point. That's what but, I mean. But I think later on, I think... You're saying it's good that she dies. No, it's not good that she dies. Let me clarify. But, no. <laughs> uh, she she first connects with him. She also buys him a dog for his 13th birthday. She was the only one to celebrate his birthday. It's like one of his first times celebrating his birthday. She gets him a dog and takes him hunting. So he was bonded with her right away. Then after she passed, you know, they go to take him away. He goes and runs. Heck, what does he name him. his dog? Tupac after Tupac Shakur. <laughs> yeah, big hip hop fan that Ricky. But um, yeah, so he he runs away and then I don't know. I I really liked everything. Their bonding that goes throughout that. They're slowly getting to know each other, talking about the mom and how they miss her and how they liked her and what she meant to them. And I think what's so important too is so uh, this is the best of both worlds when it comes to Taika with TD's movie. I think these next three define Taika learning from in my opinion, the shortcomings of his previous three movies, which, as I kind of kept reiterating, is the urgency and the lack of plot. And I think starting with this, Hunt of the Wilder People, I think this is the strongest plot by far. And you get that urgency for why you're continuing to watch this movie. Like, the character work is fantastic, obviously. Uh, he, that was never his shortcoming. He's always been uh, phenomenal with that. Right. But now you get to add in, oh, okay, they're on the run from the law. What is going to happen? How are the events going to play out? There's no way this can end in a good way. So what's going to happen? It's engaging and you're hooked in and you just you hope for the best continuously throughout this movie and you're seeing this relationship form between Hector and Ricky as they're just kind of strand together. Really, really well handled. Did this movie give you serious up vibes? It did. The very beginning is like yeah. literally the up. It's literally up because like the, you know, the mom passed away and then it's cranky old man and excited over talkative young boy and then there's also a little bit about them trying to find an exotic bird and i was like whoa what's going on here they're being yeah, chased and then there, was that, there was that part where they escape on a house of balloons it was just weird yeah they fly away he's in the boy scouts <laughs> you could you could have told me that this this could have been disney's live action up and my god it would have been fantastic what a great well-executed film the humor in it was also pretty good like i they go into the woods and he just starts telling this random group of people that they run into that heck is molesting him and they're like no 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 you don't know what that means stop <laughs> and he's just like no no no, yeah he's molesting me it's fine yeah I, I think i think there's some pretty good funny wordplay humor in this as well so um that being said i don't think this is inherently uh anywhere close to the humor level or because it's not really a comedy no uh compared to what we do in the shadows i'd say it's more in line with boy in the sense of, like, there's some funny things occasionally, but uh, for the most part, it plays as this coming-of-age movie. How this this boy who's never really been able to connect and has no family, how he evolves into a more mature individual and seeing that happen. And at the same time, you're also seeing the father figure, uh, Hector, played by Sam Neill, who uh, is also evolving into a more adaptable and mature father figure. Both actors, by the way, fantastic. Sam Neill yep. uh, plays... 
uh, Hector, and Julian Denison, Denison plays Ricky Baker. And, of course, a shout-out to uh, Rima T. Wiata, uh, who plays Bella. I hope, again, I'm not butchering names. It's really difficult with these foreign movies uh, because these names are not commonplace, unfortunately, in our language. But everyone did great. Everyone was wonderful. Everyone was delightful. And I liked Heck just teaching Ricky to hunt and teaching him like the ways of the woods and becoming that father figure to him throughout the whole movie, just slowly but surely growing that bond. It was just really nice to see. And, you know, he meets, meets some other people in the woods. And the main theme of this movie is him just learning that people can be okay people can care or it's a good thing they, and they can grow to care you know it's a positive message overall i think for sure it, but it also keeps reality in there especially coming off a of boy <laughs> where your boy is very much the realistic way of like how often you see like the older man's maturity change but it also raises the stakes because you know it's easy to say oh he's a dumb kid why don't you just go back find a new foster family whatever but he explains to you pretty early on in the movie like he had a friend in foster care who like died <laughs> like it's risky in the foster system that was his only friend in there and then she she passed away so it, it, it definitely makes the stakes higher and then with the full-on police chase going on to, to to try to find them it makes the movie pretty intense i think it's just an excellent fantastic movie I, again is this streaming anywhere i think it was maybe on hulu yeah yeah it was on hulu okay yeah so i mean honestly if, if anyone listening has not seen this please please just watch this one you have to pick one it's really worth your time and then we flash forward the next year into taika watiti's probably most well-known movie definitely his highest box office grossing movie it's called thor ragnarok it came out in 2017 180 million dollar budget which is a huge step up over obviously the type of film camera stuff that he's been doing Mm. for the, his last few movies from a crew of like 35 people and even just working with one camera and hunt for the wilder people to now this massive mcu production this was a huge step up and i know a lot of directors it's it's a fight or flight kind of situation because you know when you work with this kind of production uh especially with this kind of timeline that the mcu has it's going to be a situation that might not come together too well but taika watiti he pulls it off and he pulls it off really well he took the character of Thor, who in my opinion was dead man walking because he was the most unlikable character in the MCU, sense of a standalone movies at least. Thor, yep. Thor the Dark World, both very... Well, Thor 1, first of all, I thought was pretty good for what it was back in the day. I thought it was interesting how they kind of made Thor a Shakespearean kind of figure, but Thor the Dark World, I think, is universally agreed upon as potentially the worst marvel cinematic universe movie it's the one that made a lot of people wonder if oh is thor gonna be that interesting of a character yeah. he's kind of overpowered i mean I, we kind of talked about it last episode he's, he's a superman character yeah like, i mean he was just not interesting <laughs> in any no. way before before taika stepped in i mean he just was serious he wasn't honestly i didn't even know chris hemsworth could be funny until <laughs> this movie I, it was just bland bland generic superhero stuff until yeah until taika came in and Taika comes in and it like, man, he does a complete rework of this character. To be honest, this kind of happens a lot in comic books where you just have this superhero character who like, for example, I mean, I'm honestly, Batman's probably a good example of this, right? Where, yeah. where you, you follow this writer, like Scott Snyder wrote this phenomenal Batman run, but like, then you have Tom King come in and he makes a new Batman run and it's just this complete reinterpretation of the character and he writes it in the way that he wants Batman to be, as opposed to this, how Batman was previously. 
And I think you see this with Thor, where it's just full reboot for all intents and purposes, while still keeping all the continuity and all the character stuff that's come before, but just reimagining of this character. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a huge risk for Taika. I mean, it's it's him on and for Disney. It's, he came off four movies, all based in New Zealand with tiny budgets, and then comes to direct one of the best Marvel movies. And you know, if Disney likes you, they'll keep you in there camp and have you directing a million and one things like somebody like john favreau but if not you know you can go the way of rain johnson or somebody who who they just won't work with you anymore or they won't pull you in for updated <laughs> projects so i think it was a great move for both of them and it gave us a thor that a lot of people consider their favorite character in the avengers now that i don't think anybody would beforehand it's also really interesting i feel like you can speak to the mcu is like this thing that up until Thor Ragnarok, felt pretty static, especially during Phase 2, what movies that were coming out, but it felt very static in what they wanted the movies to be. Guardians of the Galaxy, for example, as a masterpiece of a movie as it is, uh, it still felt like it had to go through the hoops of like, all right, we have to talk about Thanos, we have to talk about Infinity Stone, we have to do this, we have to do that. And I think the biggest problem with Thor Phase was it just had to keep who you know in certain elements. Thor 1 had to introduce Loki because he would be mm-hmm. the main villain in Avengers, and it was going to be a ride or die situation with that. If Loki didn't hit in Thor, Avengers would fail. Thor the Dark World had to introduce like the Infinity Stones with uh, the Ether Stone, the Red Reality Stone. But it, it really just sunk the character. And like, because there were already cogs in motion, they took what was happening from Thor the Dark World and they were implementing that into Avengers Age of Ultron. And you even see, I think a lot of Age of Ultron was focusing on like, oh, what's going to come with Thor Ragnarok? And you see this darker thing. And I think even when they initially announced the logo for Thor Ragnarok, it was this darker, grittier kind of thing because it's the end of days, it's the apocalypse. Right. I remember just being blown away when they changed the logo to be more of just an 80s pop exciting look. And I was just like, whoa, what? This does not at all look like the Thor that I've seen previously. And uh, it's actually really interesting seeing like kind of how that come, came about. So I, I have a little bit of information on the production of Thor Ragnarok and how Taika actually landed the role. All right. So there were several directors that were under consideration around October 2015. And uh, what Marvel did is they presented their prospective directors with basically 10 different ideas that they had for the movie. And they wanted to just kind of ask them to produce a clear picture of what the film should be. And what Taika did is he just created a sizzle reel of just like different clips from other movies with some joke stuff just to kind of establish the tone they was looking for. Some of the movies included Big Trouble in Little China. Apparently, I guess this is like a scourge practice within the company or something. But Marvel, I guess, was blown away by this scissor reel. And particularly the scissor reel that used the score of Led Zeppelin's Immigrant Song, mm. which later, of course, was a big component in terms of the marketing, and in my opinion, the complete redefining of what Thor is. I can't picture Thor at this point anymore without that Immigrant Song playing. And they're one and the same to me. I felt like it was such a huge missed opportunity in Infinity War, actually, when Thor shows up at the end with the condo scene. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. And he's just, he shows up at the very end and like he does this big jump into the like the sky and like all the lightning surrounds him and he comes down. And I'm like, where the hell is the immigrant song? Like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost like, this is so, uh. but yeah, I just, I, it's, they're one and the same. I think it, it's exciting and it's fun because it's, that's what Thor is, is he is this, this powerful brute that just, he just destroys everything in its way. And I think what an interesting idea. How do you make this character interesting it's what we talked about last week how do you make someone that can't be beaten interesting because at the end of the day you can't beat thor you can't that's not something that's going to happen so what do you do yeah and i thought what's interesting is you 
double in, and this is, again, Taika Waititi's strengths uh, just coming into play, was character. And what is Thor's character? He believes he's invincible. So what do you do? You prove that he isn't. And you do that really early in the movie. I think the pacing (laughs) is nuts. The pacing's so insane. Like, from the beginning, again, Taika Waititi freaking nailing it. With the beginnings of these movies, you get Thor, he's hanging from the chains, and he's, like, having this inner monologue, and he's talking about, oh, here I am again, you know? And there's, like, little jokes about, like, he's talking to this uh, villain character, and, like, the chain kind of keeps swinging around. He's like, oh, hold on, I gotta wait to swing back. Yeah, they make him self-aware and just, like, self-depreciating a little bit where he's not taking himself as seriously and to the viewers don't, you know? I think Ty could just, like, you know, like what I was saying before, what his opinion was on bring your voice to anything you do, whatever you do, be creative. Like when you're being creative, just do it with your own voice. And that's what it is. You don't have to be in one thing. So I think that's what he did here. I mean, he didn't make a Thor movie. He like made Thor into a Taika movie. And it was, it had the same sense of humor, the same sense of character, the same sense of heart as any of his other movies, but they did it with a character that was already established in a completely different way. So, and even bringing in Hulk and having him play in a different way as well. Just more more comedic, yeah. Yeah, I, again, all the characters from the get-go, I, if it's any surprise at this point, are likable. <laughs> Tom Hiddleston's Loki is, I mean, to be fair, he's already very likable. But they yeah. made Chris Hemsworth very likable, and they just reinvented the character. And, uh, you know, Mark Ruffalo, likable as the Hulk. Like, they made Hulk a character. I don't recall Hulk actually having too much of a personality outside of just Hulk smash. Yeah, previously, but they kind of add some depth to the character. It feels left out from the other Avengers, and they kind of poke fun at it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Even introducing the Hulk, where he's just everybody loves him on this planet, and it's like, oh, this is why he's been hanging here. <laughs> like they have Hulk, Hulk's fans, uh, signs everywhere. Everybody's chanting his name. He's the champion of the, you know the Grandmaster's game, and it's just he loves it <laughs> for for the beginning. Yeah. And then he's Thor, and he's just like, yeah. He's just so happy to be, like, you know, accepted. And I think that's a key thing for the Hulk's character. And honestly, even for Mark Ruffalo's Bruce Banner character. Because, yeah. like, it's the same way. Like, it, I think it's an interesting dynamic. It's when you switch back to Bruce Banner, he's like, oh, no, you guys only like me for my Hulk. And Hulk's like, no one likes it. So I think it's really interesting that he kind of frames the Hulk around this character that both halves believe that the other is liked more than who they currently are. And he stays in the Hulk the entire time he's on that planet just because that's what they know him and like him as. He never transfers back to Bruce Banner. I mean, I don't know if he could or not, but he's been the Hulk since the previous film. For like two years, apparently. I think that's yeah. what they're saying, which is crazy. <laughs> and oh my gosh, we haven't even started to talk about all the new characters they introduced into this universe with this movie. I mean, Kate Blanchett as Hela is... I mean, first of all, I loved, loved the costume and makeup design for this character. The green and black. I mean, this is a villain. So it's not going to be someone that's like, oh, we're fun and likable. And so it's interesting to see just Taika create this character who's just a full sinister tone. She's the goddess of death. She's pretty no-nonsense from the yeah. get-go. Your first scene from her, I think, in a way, Taika speaks to his character abilities within just minutes. He can just establish the character and their weight in the movie. Thor, you're establishing this, oh, this is a fun character. When you're introduced to Hela, the first scene you get with Hela is Thor being like, oh, I'm like, she's like, bow. And Thor's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm not going to do that. And he throws his hammer at her. You've seen how the hammers work. He's established how the hammer works. It's amazing. It's like, it's invincible for all intents and purposes. And uh, Hela just literally catches it, breaks it. Smash it, yeah. She's a threat from the get-go. And immediately, as opposed to like, oh, her main thing, we got to keep her away from getting to Asgard. We can't let her get to Asgard. Literally. The second she after she breaks the hammer, Loki's like, "Oh, him doll," um, and like he tries to su- get back to Asgard, and immediately 
uh, it becomes like this chase scene. Honestly, there's urgency in this action scene of just them going from the portal up to Asgard. What happens is Hela just kind of knocks out Loki and knocks out Thor out of the portal and it sends right into Asgard and just takes it over. Like without it, and I'm just like, wow, she did it. Yeah, she's just badass right off the front. But they also develop through introducing Hela Odin, which is not like I don't remember one scene of his him before this movie, but <laughs> they develop a full relationship between him and what Thor thought Odin was and what Hela thought Odin was. You know that that whole dynamic or family dynamic where he had this whole life before Thor even came about with Hela just conquering realms and just a a conqueror and a, that kind of leader where he's changed since then but Thor never knew him as that and they, you know they literally ripped down the walls and behind it is just all about Hela and Odin and their conquests it's crazy to see that now Thor has two opinions of his dad you know, he doesn't know exactly what to think about it and they give him a full arc it's really great how he just develops all of these characters at once within one movie where they've been trying to do it through for a series of movies already in my opinion the two best characters of the film first of all have Tessa Thompson Valkyrie character who's just this badass fun character again your first shot your game from this character she's walking out of the ship to like visit thor and uh, she's just kind of like drunk and she's just like oh and she falls right out like she falls right off the ship the other scribes are like oh okay this is gonna be our food now i guess we're, we're gonna go for her as well tessa thompson basically just kind of like sloppily puts on these bracelets and uh it just like becomes this full gun ammo ship kind of like like a mech kind of ship and it just shoot and obliterate basically every <laughs> life form in front of Thor, except outside of Thor, which is just so, it's so badass. And like, you get, oh my God, you get, and then you get amazing, her whole backstory. <laughs> yeah. These amazing action scenes. I mean, the cinematography looked like it was from fucking art yeah. of just the Valkyrie attacking hell lying down. And just, yeah. Yeah. You feel a little bit like you're in that, you know, in the, in the flashbacks or in those, those scenes, it is uh, like a Nordic tale. Of, of Thor and and the Nordic gods and it's the Valkyrie flying down and attacking it's 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 really interesting that they did it that way and it's really cool and then and then they add extra because you learn she's like the last of her kind yeah which adds a lot more to like the I mean just the feeling of her character she's lost a lot honestly kind of like a foreshadowing towards what Thor's future will be like over the next course of <laughs> the, the remaining movies here of just how much Thor continues to lose I haven't talked about the best character of the film jeff goldblum oh my <laughs> god i don't know if there's any other human being in the world who has a voice like jeff goldblum where when you hear it it's just it's sexually charged <laughs> it's, it just plays and chews up every line of dialogue that he delivers as this just fun sexually charged I, mean, I don't know it, it's I don't know. You love Jeff how Goldblum sexually charged Jeff Goldblum is. Yeah, I mean, honestly, he just he, yeah, he like does he needs to look around. He gets your yeah. golds blooming. <laughs> he is yeah. I don't know what it is. There's something about him that's just very erotic. Uh, I I really like. A He's lot. just really funny. Like I don't know his his whole or is is unique unto himself. Like he's kind of funny but also kind of suave but also kind of nerdy like i don't really know how to define him but he's just his own person and brings his own character to everything he does and especially in this movie when he's doing the grandmaster it's like you just like this guy (laughs) (laughs) it's such an interesting dynamic seeing uh this guy just do his thing (laughs) for lack of a better yeah i mean he's like uh, running a gladiator 
ring, but you're like, yeah, I, I get it. He's he's a cool guy. He's, he's fun. He's just, and, he's just trying to have fun. And the, th- <laughs> the thing is, like, one of the first things you see with them is, like, he takes this guy who's, like, this squirming, like, little, like, grunt. And he's pulled up next to Thor. And uh, he's like, no, please, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the uh, Grandmaster, uh, Chuck Goldman, is like, all right, I, I pardon you from life. And then he just taps <laughs> his, like, staff on him, and he just disintegrates into dust. <laughs> like, into, like, goop. I don't, it's weird, because, like, his actions definitely, I mean, he runs a, literally, a cockfighting match with people, <laughs> for the most part, that he uses as slaves. Yeah, it's the other, uh, the other one, Korg, played by Taika Waititi, doing motion capture. <laughs> He's just like, I was, I, uh, I tried to start a revolution, but I didn't print enough pamphlets. Just classic Taika one-liners. <laughs> don't be scared of me, unless you're a pair of scissors. <laughs> <laughs> A little rock, paper, scissors jokes for you, though. It's just, he just got, it, literally, Taika just came in to do a few one-liners and then left. And it was, it was, um, it was great comedic relief, even though the rest of the movie is funny, too. Again, I just, I feel like we've talked about this movie, obviously, the most. I, I'm starting to wonder if this is his best movie, now that we're talking it out. Because, like, going into it, I was, like, watching The Hunt for the Little Peer, I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is really great. But, I mean, having, kind of talking through it, I'm just getting more and more excited about this movie right now. And I'm like, yeah, all these characters are amazing. All of the plot is fantastic. The pacing is phenomenal. There's there's no point where you're like, oh man, now we're stuck here. It, there's none of that. Like it just keeps moving along at such a fast clip. And again, it still captures, I think, what Taika's films do so well, which is which are the characters' moments. And honestly, the character arcs. I think you get some fantastic character arcs here with Loki, the character, and he's his trickster, and you know, he's never intentionally like seemingly he's only out for himself there's a situation where loki does again double cross thor but thor for the first time he anticipates yeah loki doing it he doesn't blindly just buy into it like he does in every other interpretation of thor so far he's like no of course you're gonna do this i'm not falling for it yeah showing thor's growth a little bit as well like he still likes his brother still wants to give him some some credit and still wants to work with him and and all of that but he knows not to trust him fully yet <laughs> exactly and then to that same extent, Loki, I, like there's this great conversation that Loki and Thor have in the elevator where they're talking with each other about their relationship and just basically how I'm not expecting you to change anymore. You are who you are and that's okay. And it's a scene that seems to kind of upset Loki a little bit. Like he doesn't seem to be like as, you know, ego driven and like as cocky as he usually is. I, I think it's a mode that really resonates with Loki and I think it leads into his ability for coming back at the end specifically to that final fight scene and you unfortunately i think it's 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 really just sad because you know i I think everyone has seen infinity war so i don't feel bad spoiling it but you know how his story ends right loki and it's just this really sad moment of this relationship that could have been taika gives it a little more validity and a little more weight than it i think it would have had with anyone else or at least the previous version because if thor just all of a sudden became a a nice guy and, and started helping out like you wouldn't believe it or care and then you know it, like you said with infinity war if something happened to him you wouldn't necessarily care as much but because you know he has a little bit of depth to him and just little moments throughout this film you know that he does have feelings does is does have relationships with with his brother and, and other people so you get a little bit more of a sense of who he is as a character i think that's oh one more shout out to carl urban who plays scourge he's this kind of like tough white guy character like this asgardian warrior who helps basically guard the Bifrost Bridge, replacement of Heimdall. And he, he, he gets introduced in the first shot of the movie. He's trying to impress these women, these Asgardian women that he brings in. He like has these two AK-47 type guns. 
And he's like, I call this one Dis and this one Troy. Together, <laughs> they destroy. And it's like, he's, he's that kind of character. And he's just so, he's very fun as well. Like he, for a while, it, there's even a character for this small character where he's, he's his comedic role. And of course, like, he's the first one that Hella sees. And he meets us like, oh, I'm just a janitor. I, I don't do anything. I'll do whatever you want. And uh, he, like Hella directly asks him at one point, so what is it that you want? He just wants to be respected. He just wants to have a purpose. That's all he wants. And to have that, uh, she basically grants him the role of an executioner. And it's a role that he kind of renegades on. Uh, renegades yeah. on. Renegades? Fuck. It's another Resignates with? Word no, no. Uh, he, he, like when you reject it. Regne? Regne? Mm, tough one. Renegade. Renegade. Shit. Damn it! I I hate English language. All right, no, no, he doesn't relish it. He renegades on it. Is that it? Sauerkraut. No. Okay, <laughs> okay. He he rejects the rule. I'm. God damn it! I I need to just start reading dictionaries uh, in between <laughs> podcast episodes. And Scourge's character renegades on this um this thing, and he leans into his conscience and decides, no, it's not about serving this selfish thing. He he sacrifices himself to save all of the all of Asgard. Actually, yeah. Um. So it's it's a really cool heroic act that you see just happen. I don't know how you go from hunt for the wilder people and what we do in the shadows to this because this is such like a it's a lot more character, a lot more complex. The progression, I mean, just the the fact that I think we discuss this the most because there's so much to discuss because what we do in the shadows is like yeah, it's just three vampires doing fun vampire things. Wilder people, it's just like yeah, it's just this. It's only two people getting along. Yeah, and its plots are very basic. But this, it's like, oh, hey, I, I heard that my plots aren't that great. Here's a really well-thought-out plot. Here's a really well-thought-out character. And by the way, it's not just focusing on one or two characters. I've got, like, 12. <laughs> 12 amazing characters with 12 amazing character arcs that are all likable and all memorable in every way. Don't know how he did this. I don't know how he pulled this off. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's remarkable. I think this speaks to the absolute talent of Taika Waititi especially in the face of what he had to work with uh, with the previous Thor movies. Thor's arc in this is so good. It goes from accepting that this full, cocky, egotistical character, but not in a way that Thor 1 had, it, right? Like, it was... Thor 1, I think, was very much like, oh, he's an asshole. Yeah, he's just... He's um, confident, but not over cocky to the point of being a jerk, and he also comes into his own as more of a, a leader you know he has to step up for asgard i thought this was a this is a perfect movie <laughs> I, I, honestly, I don't have any issues with this no at all. critiques do, do you have any did you have any like things that you didn't like or you thought could have been done better no i mean nothing i could think <laughs> of it's just it's just fantastically done all around uh, what do you do you think this is better than the hunt for the wilder people I, again talking through it now and the excitement i feel like naturally just came up i i have to assume i like this more than hunt for the wilder people i don't know tough to say because i like hunt for the Wilder people i i love the depth of the characters i know they have depth of character obviously in the ragnarok we just talked about it but i love the coming of age aspect of it as well just both of them growing throughout the movie in in very clear ways and within their relationship and just the play in Bella as well. So I don't know. It's it's much more of a drama than this movie. This movie is is a lot more fun than Hunt for the Wilder People. Fun, but also has character. Uh, where I would say the Hunt for the Wilder People is all character with like a little bit of fun. So I don't know. Two different movies. Tough to say. Also very different 
levels. I mean, <laughs> not for little people is like you said, small scale, small plot, only a few characters. This is a million and one characters, complex plot, and just a ton of visual effects, ton of a huge budget, all of that. So I don't know. Just, just very different. I <laughs> I don't know how to rank them one versus the other. They're they're so super different movies. But this one is. I mean, I think back to back doing both of those movies in a row is insane. A year apart. <laughs> like I, that just just speaks to how much of a creative genius he is. He just can churn out movies like this. It's 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 crazy. I appreciated. I mean, obviously it's for Ragnarok, but like just the jump in scale to this movie. Again, I don't know how he did this. Like he just continuously, I, he just continuously learns from every movie. Like oh, maybe this is something I could do better. Like you have you know a uh, shark and eagle, uh, and it's like okay, well, there's just likability characters plot all these things that had issues and he kind of fixes a little bit with boy and then from boy like he kind of just well he creates something different with what we do in the shadows but like it also just adds in some more characters into the movie but i think from boy to what from boy to hunt in the wilder people i mean you can tell a lot of the same themes are in there but i think it's a huge jump in writing just yeah how how he executes it how he films it everything he improved so much from Boy to Hunt and Little People and their similar movies. And then from Hunt and Little People to this, I mean, he just, like you said, in insane leap. So. The next movie he went on to do, actually, one last thing with uh, Jeff Goldblum. Uh, so just like <laughs> Sexually for, for charged. Anyone, <laughs> for anyone interested in uh, Jeff Goldblum's future in the MCU, uh, apparently Kevin Feige had mentioned that he was interested in seeing a uh, film with him reuniting with his brother who's already been introduced in the mcu do you know who the grandmaster's brother is in the mcu aunt who is it dave it is benicio del toro is the collector uh, -huh. uh they're actually brothers in the uh comic book and i guess that will be established in the mcu at some point down the road but kevin figgy has expressed interest with seeing the grandmaster return and interact with uh, benicio del toro's the collector so I think that seeing the two energies of those two people together would be pretty, <laughs> sounds like it'd be pretty fun. Also, uh, Jeff Goldblum will also reprise his role as the Grandmaster in the upcoming animated Marvel What If series on Disney+. Plus. So that'll be really exciting. And uh, I mean, while not explicitly announced, I think we might even see more Jeff Goldblum in uh, Thor Love and Thunder because uh, it seems Taika Waititi really loves jeff goldblum i see a lot of photos of those two together <laughs> in a very loving manner oh boy. as anyone around jeff goldblum would pose <laughs> with that man is a national treasure biggest thing i've learned david is a huge fan of jeff goldblum huge i have been following this goldblum. man's career <laughs> i've been following this man's career my whole life I, I remember the fly watching that for the first time and just being so amazed by like this man i'm like what something about this character this jeff goldblum character playing this guy in the fly Something about it just is so arousing. <laughs> <laughs> you saw that fly uh, face and you were just like, whoa. I saw the fingernails that. falling off and I was just like, whoa. I need to turn this off for a little minute. Um, yeah, he's got something going on. <laughs> so that brings us to his final movie. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit. Uh, this, is, this came out in 2019. It's a comedy drama movie uh, written and directed by Taika. And... Uh, Taika plays one of the lead roles, Adolf Hitler, everyone's favorite uh, Nazi. And uh, you also have Roman Griffin Davis, who plays the titular character Jojo, who's a young German boy. Thomasin McKenzie as Elsa, a Jewish girl. 
And uh, then you have a few other Nazi characters thrown in for good measure. Also, you have Scarlett Johansson playing a mother to Jojo. Part of the movie is, I mean, for the most part, for anyone that didn't see it, uh, there's this kid named Jojo. He's, this takes place during Nazi Germany, uh, towards the end of it, the decline of Nazi Germany. But he's, you're seeing all this propaganda put around. He is fully in. He's 10 years old. And uh, Jojo, he loves Adolf. He has like this imaginary Adolf Hitler friend who he pictures as just fully supporting Jojo. And that's played by Taiko Atiti. And he's like, oh, hello, Jojo. And it's very friendly. And he lives alone with his mother. And I guess like they lost their sister and they lost their father in the war at some point or sickness or something. And uh, you're just watching Jojo just slowly uh, trying to capture the attention of the Fuhrer and to amass into getting engaged in the Nazi German regime. When I first went to this movie, I didn't really understand Taika as a person or like what he goes for in his movies because watching this I was like what is this movie is this like kind of World War II there's Hitler running around but it's also a kid it's like kind of a drama but also a comedy like what's going on but looking back on it I think this has a lot of the same themes and, and aspects as Boy actually did I mean it's like a young kid Adolf Hitler versus his dad in this one but like him seeing somebody and believing in something that might not necessarily be true or exists and he has these all all these ideals and imagination and it's him coming to terms with what reality is and and it's a coming of age rather than a world war ii movie which i don't think it necessarily comes across as when you're first watching it or when you look at the marketing or anything but i think that's at the heart of it that's really what it is it's somebody learning what the world is like around them regardless of what they were told from when they were a kid and it's just taking it to that extreme of hitler youth and <laughs> nazi germany you have Taika Waititi's main talent is, of course, likable characters, and it's all the characters are Nazis for the most part. And so it's just, oh, I really like that Nazi, <laughs> you know, right from the get go. Again, you establish Jojo's character as like this plucky boy who's you know very excited to be uh, liked by Adolf Hitler. He wants his approval and he's excited to like go to war and he goes this is he goes to this nazi summer camp you get these just hilarious characters sam rockwell who i think is one of one of my favorite actors by far he plays this just hilarious nazi general who i seem to be discharged and demoted into this camp and seeing him interact with like the youth and seeing uh rebel wilson's character who's uh very fun as well and just kind of poking fun at basically all the ridiculous things that nazis believed in and just kind of doubling down on it in like a very joking manner. That was just, it made it a much more fun, lighthearted movie. But then also, again, yeah, I, I agree. I didn't really know what to expect tonally from this movie. When you come from Thor Ragnarok as your only Taika Waititi movie, hmm. you would expect, oh, it's going to be like that. It's just going to be fun, laugh, laugh, laugh. And so I wasn't initially expecting to have a lot of the drama elements present when I viewed this movie. Fortunately, I did watch this movie a second time when it was going around with the Oscars to try to get a better, a little bit more clarity because I definitely was caught off guard by the drama. And honestly, I felt like it kind of dragged initially because of it, with just a better expectation of what kind of tone they were going for within the movie. I was able to kind of buy into the less comedic moments. That being said, I, I will say I think that if there's any complaint about this movie, there might be a little bit of a tougher time juggling those two types of tones within this movie. I think Taika might have been unsure of how to properly balance, you know, because you want to make the Nazis comedic because you don't want to make them sympathetic within a drama aspect. Right. And I think that was something that might have been a hurdle in terms of figuring out 
how to properly capture the tone. Yeah, and I think he did it a little better in some of his other movies, but not to say that there aren't some really good moments and really good characters in this movie. I mean, like, the mother played by Scarlett Johansson is a pretty in-depth character. She's worried about her son turning to Nazism, but also, you know, hiding a Jewish person and is totally against the Nazi regime and um, is doing her best to fight against it. And then there's also a you know, Jewish person living in their house that he comes to know and starts to challenge his beliefs. So there's definitely the tension there and definitely the, the character growth throughout. Before I get into all the positives, because there's a lot in this movie, the only negative I had was actually one actress, uh, Tom <laughs> Thomason McKenzie, who plays Elsa, the Jewish girl, who's basically hiding in that the sister's room behind the walls. You, you later find out Scarlett Johansson's actually a sympathizer for Jewish people and she's actually kind of like helping try to fight against the Nazis from within but of course she had to do in secret because the penalty is of course to be killed obviously if you oppose the German regime the German Nazi regime and so you're watching kind of just this story between this boy who has this predetermined notion of what Jewish people are and you know oh Nazi way is the best way and then you get he gets introduced into this girl I don't know if maybe this was Taika's original vision because you see, you know, not Nazis as like, you know, this more likable, fun going characters, but this Jewish girl, she is just the complete antithesis to that. She's very, and, and to be, and for good reason, to be fair, uh, you know, she's in hiding. It's, she's literally a Jewish girl in Germany during the Nazi regime. It's it, things aren't going to be rosy for her. Yeah. I took it as she was just very sad, like very down didn't really know what to do with her life obviously because she couldn't do anything the case of this movie it just it provided such a contrast like it's like imagine inside out right inside out i think is a good example of a movie that handled a character where everyone's peppy and like energetic and happy and then you have sadness and she's just this uh character that kind of shows up but she's still executed well because of it i thought this character could have been handled better. I don't know if it came down to a better actress or better writing or better direction, but there was something that just missed the mark with this character for me. And it, I think, yeah, the issue is like Jojo's, only... Jojo's not trying to like cheer her up either. He's like bringing no. her down further. So it's, it's just like doubling down on whenever she's around. It's just, I mean, they have some moments where it's like, Oh, they're clicking. Okay. Like he's, he's learning a little bit that Jews aren't all bad, but it's, it's not much. Yeah. I didn't feel like they had any chemistry. There was some good moments. Like I really enjoyed, there's like a scene with a letter and then you find out like later on that, Oh, the boyfriend's dead. And then there's this really heartfelt moment. He writes this whole apology letter about it. Also pretends like it's from the boyfriend. I thought I really enjoyed that moment. And I just felt like any moment that they were actually together, I just didn't connect with. And then he gets friend zoned. Was he, was he trying to make a romantic move? Yeah, I think he's at the, well, spoilers, I guess, but at the end he says he, he tells her he loves her, and then she's just like, yeah, I love you too, like a brother. <laughs> <laughs> the classic. <laughs> I think. That takes me back to high school. That whole friendship <laughs> is just, I don't know, the, the chemistry wasn't there the, most of the movie, and they didn't have too many moments. It's just such a shame because I feel like the chemistry with every other character works so well. Yeah, the chemistry <laughs> with Sam Rockwell and, and Jojo, like, though it's very brief and very, like, subtle, it's you understand that he actually does care in some way. How far Taika has come in mastering the art of subtlety when it comes to characters because I, all I can think of, again, is that eagle versus a shark with the freaking apple metaphor. And then he has something as simple as this where uh, you illustrate Sam Rockwell's character. There's a scene where it looks like that basically all the Nazis show up to JoJo's house, inspecting the rooms to try to see if like there's any Jews 
or any like hidden things within the house uh, they basically find the jewish girl and she's like oh no i'm his sister and shows the sister's papers and she gives it to the the nazis and uh, they're checking and they're quizzing her and sam rockwell actually walks in and takes the wallet and is like all right what's your birthday mm. and she answers it incorrect but sam rockwell doesn't say anything he realizes what's happening and to protect yeah, jojo he lets her off and it's little moments like that and again you see it at the end of the movie where uh, you know Amer- the Americans show up, capture the city that they're in, and Jojo is kind of rounded up with the Nazis because he's wearing the uniform, uh, despite being a ten-year-old child. And Sam Rockwell realizes what's going to happen again to Jojo, and again, acting his best interest, he he does what he needs to to get Jojo into his to a safe place. Yeah, he's I think he rips off his jacket and he starts calling him a Jew and like acts like he doesn't like him and all of that, but just to get the Americans yeah. not to kill him in that moment, but. You know, the subtlety is really important because he, you have to understand what's going on here. You have to understand that Sam Rockwell's actually looking out for him, even though he's not necessarily acting like it. But if you're paying attention, you're a good moviegoer, then you understand that that's what's going on in this moment without sure. the heavy handedness of the early films, like you were saying. Uh, what did you think of uh, some of the other characters? Was there any characters that stood out to you at all that you liked? Uh, the only other one I think really is, <laughs> besides. Adolf Hitler, uh, as you know, Taika Waititi is um, the mom, Scarlett, yeah, Scarlett Johansson. She she was good, I thought, but not <laughs> I'm fully fleshed out like some of the other characters are. Like some of the other movies where every single character and every side character and every other character is more fleshed out and has more of an arc. She didn't have as much of an arc. It was mainly she's worried about her son, and she also doesn't like nazi germany or what they're doing to her her family and and trying to battle it from within but i don't know if it was just not enough screen time or not enough dialogue but i don't think she really had that much going on in her character is you know jojo's your main title character and you get a lot from him obviously but of the second character that i think of when i think of this movie is sam rockwell i think he establishes his character and he does such a great job acting in it uh captain klinsendorf there's so many just moments where it's just like you know like what we talked about that come through and the nuances of how he portrays the moment and how it shines through and type of character that he is whereas Scarlett Johansson's character like I know she wanted to Jojo to tie his shoes <laughs> and uh yeah honestly you don't really get too much of her ability honestly within this movie I, th- I think she just comes she no just she's a great that, actress but it's just yeah not, not she I just think plays that mother that that maternal character yeah. yeah she did the role as best as she could but again i don't think that she's given too much to work with unfortunately because like all the interesting stuff of her characters off screen I mean, right she's like you know protesting against the nazi right. regime yeah but you, don't you don't see really what she's context. actually out there doing you don't see the weight of the loss of her daughter or the loss of her husband like weighing on her at all or really anything she just yeah, maybe that's like, the point you know, you know jojo doesn't really see that and he doesn't really have that perspective yeah. from her that maybe would influence his opinion a little more. There are some great scenes between the two of them, though. I really enjoyed, like, when um, at one point, uh, Jojo, like, wants to see his father, and, like, she's like, oh, you want to see your father? And she takes, like, this, like, uh, suit, and she, like, rubs it on her face to, like, make a beard, and uh, she seems to be dad, and, like, then they're dancing together, and the way she kind of plays off in this playful manner towards Jojo, even when she's heated, uh, it kind of shines through. It's like, yeah, this is a character that you know, really loves her son. Yeah, wants the best for him, but unfortunately, it, it's a war-torn world, and she can't explicitly tell him, "Hey, hate Adolf," you know. Yeah, because she, she can only like try to help him. Yeah, she can only try to help him. Like, hey, 
try seeing the clarity in the world and try to see like the good in the world yeah without so. explicitly saying that these guys are i think that kind of speaks to the tragedy of the character she dies in the movie at, at some point and you get the situation where she never really sees jojo become his own man and reject the nazi propaganda she had been trying to get him to reject over his life which is kind of sad in a way yeah and right before you know the americans and the allies come in and she was so close yeah and and overthrow the town on a different note though with this movie the humor was hilarious <laughs> i really enjoy it there's this one scene where there's all these nazis that walk in jojo's house and they're like how hitler how hitler how hitler <laughs> and then they're like oh this is uh this is, who's this guy oh this is uh jojo's sister or whatever oh how hitler how hitler how hitler and they all like one by one how hitler and uh, then sam rockwell walks in and, and then oh how hitler, how hitler. And they all, the, just the absurdity of like having always heil hitler whenever someone enters a room and just and then, oh we were heil hitlering the boy you know <laughs> nothing nothing out of the normal thing it's just this really funny situation and there was also like this really funny joke with german shepherds where uh, it's literally just literal <laughs> shepherds that are German, which I really liked. Uh, again, that funny Taika Waititi wordplay humor. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed the humor a lot in this. Again, Sam Rockwell, though, was, there's a scene that I just envision when I think of the character where you're seeing like final fight in America when Americans come in, and JoJo sees freaking Sam Rockwell with this Gatling gun, and he's got like this, like, because he was, for all things versus, he was, he was playing a homosexual character. And he has this big flamboyant outfit on, mm. kind of this cape, this big, like, colorful, feathery cape uh, in this back. And it winks at the boy and just, as he's firing on his gun. And he's just so ridiculously over the top. Yeah, I, I, I really, yeah. really loved it. Oh, and then there's also JoJo's friend, the, the other child, who I also love, Yorkie. Remember this guy? Mm-hmm. He's like, this really funny character runs into jojo at the end he's like oh hey jojo and he's well, he's got like cardboard armor on or something <laughs> and he's just he's got the he's got the german helmet on though he's just like oh yeah the americans are here but you know we're just trying to fight the, the americans and but yeah overall though i'd say i really did enjoy the movie there's a couple points where i think it does drag overall i i think it's a a very fun and again i think you're seeing Taika Waititi's name rise to prominence because you see the return on this box office with 90.3 million, which is a pretty good turn for a movie that's you know pretty niche for the most part. This is a Fox Searchlight movie. This wasn't like a big production movie. He still got a pretty good return in the box office. And won an Academy Award, right? Best Adapted Screenplay. Yeah, yeah, Best Adapted Screenplay. It was also Best Picture nominated. So it's it's really exciting to see Taika Waititi just kind of pop up into the scene after six movies. And it seems like the infancy of his career. He's only really been making movies for like the past 13 years or so. He's got a huge, long career ahead of him. And speaking of, well, actually, before we get into this future, is there anything else you want to talk about with JoJo? Like, where do you, where do you think this kind of stands in relation to the rest of his movies? I think um, I definitely preferred Thor Ragnarok and Hunt for the Wilder People. I think this is, I mean, I think it just shows his versatility. He could take his imprint and put it on anything. You know, he could put it on Nazi Germany, he could put it on Thor. You know, it's just his his own brand that he he has developed and continues to develop and and make great movies so i think it's i think it's a great film i think it's different from some of his others but i don't um you know personally i don't didn't like it as much as those two but i don't know how do you compare it to say boy what we do in the shadows i just put in a different category because straight comedy i agree with that you know how you said like hunt for the wilder people is like the evolution of boy i think this is the next step in evolution from hunt for the wilder people i I will say I think Hunt for the Wilder People is a better movie than Jojo Rabbit. 
but think just in terms of being able to juggle more characters and being able to add more depth to a plot like adding mm-hmm. more things that are going on while still having a plot i think that's something that kind of comes through in this movie and so it's kind of just you know learning from some of his hiccups uh, from the previous movies also bringing like world into effect right like however old people for all that didn't have any context to what where they are it's just they're in new zealand on a random day here it's you know what's going on here towards the end of world war ii there's a alexander coming in you know there's a lot of context going on outside of just the characters that are in the story where everything else however little people at least was completely character driven and so was boy so i think he's continuing to expand his writing on in that aspect as well yeah final impressions of like all those movies that have come out here i mean I would say easily these last three, Thor Ragnarok, Hunt for the Wilderpeeper, Judge Rabbit are his must-see movies. Mm. If I was to just think don't want to rank them, in my own personal opinion, I love Thor Ragnarok. It seems like you like Hunt for the Wilderpeople more. Judge Rabbit's probably both our third pick if we were to rank things in like quality at best. But honestly, all three of these are, in my opinion, must-watch movies. Whereas the former three, while Boy and What We Do in the Shadows are really good, it's the difference between where he's at now i think becomes more apparent when you see all these movies back to back yeah it's kind of the same reasons we talked about so that's kind of what i'd say on his current slate like i said he's in the infancy of his career because my god this man has a lot on his plate in the future yeah once once disney found out he could make successful films they just slated him up for <laughs> everything his first of all his next upcoming movie uh, is already in post-production i guess he just kind of knocked this one out right after Jojo Rabbit, before the pandemic hit, um, which, again, I guess just goes to show just how quick he is at just making movies, apparently. It's called Next Goal Wins. Yeah, this one's about a... Uh, it's a sports comedy film. It's about a... Uh, it's it's based on a 2014 documentary of the same name, and, yeah, it's about a Dutch-American football coach that leads uh, the American Samoa national soccer team so they were considered the weakest team in the world they did qualify for the 2014 world cup and then michael fassbender elizabeth moss army hammer all signed on to to do the film yeah it's a really great cast i mean honestly i expect great things i didn't know he was even making this i assumed after jojo just going right into the, the next thor movie but apparently he had time to just knock out a quick movie that he direct, wrote, and produced. Interesting to see when it's going to come out, though, because I think, you know, Thor Love and Thunder is set for 2022, so this one with COVID, I don't know if it's going to release this year or next year, or straight to video, like, who knows? Yeah, Thor Love and Thunder was originally set for November 2021. I assume you had next goal wins would have been... Probably around now. Honestly, around I don't the know. the next few months, I don't know. Probably would have been a movie that you would have put for Oscar. It's interesting that they didn't ever announce a release date. But I guess that's mainly because COVID kind of broke loose. But they entered best production at January, the beginning of this year. And I assume since everything's filmed, they can just kind of finish it. I assume by the time like theaters open again, this movie's going to be done if it isn't already because they just have the pandemic. So they can all do all the post-production stuff working from home. Then his next movie, though, uh, which I'm also very excited for, if you couldn't tell based off my love for Thor Ragnarok, is Thor Love and Thunder. This was a recently movie that would have come out in November 2000 and. 2021 however it was delayed into february 11 2022 there's one movie that gets me excited the most about the future of the marvel cinematic universe it's this one by far natalie portman's returning to play uh, jane foster again and she's expected to take on the mantle of the female incarnation of thor 
which I don't know how much. I think you read some of the initial comic books. Yeah, I know this goes in line with what happened in the comics recently. Jane Foster's Thor has been my Thor character that my tether into the comic books of this property. So very excited for that. Uh, they expect, I think everyone's supposed to expect it to return. And by everyone, I mean, it's, I think so far, Natalie Portman, Chris Hemsworth, and you have Korg, Korg, of course, but also <laughs> Valkyrie's character. Uh, yeah. Thompson. Well. Uh, T- Tessa Thompson. Yeah, Thompson. However, they haven't said anything about Tom Hiddleston. Well, he did die in infinity war. We've now introduced alternate timelines. So he could, you know, pop up in other ways. Uh, because of what happened to Endgame and what I assume we'll see what will happen with the Loki series in Disney Plus. And then Jeff Goldblum hasn't been officially confirmed, although he did kind of retweet some things with Thor Love and Thunder. So I don't know if that's something they're saving for a later time. Did see a few others uh, surprised new joinees. Christian Bale, yeah, and confirmed by Tessa Thompson in March to be cast as the villain. So that's going to be very exciting to see. Because Christian Bale, man, that guy's a really good actor. But I'm very excited what kind of tone he'll bring into the movie, having seen how Taika likes his characters to behave in a eccentric manner. Will he be something more sinister like Hela? Or will he be someone more lighthearted and just like fun like uh, Grandmaster? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see him in this because he's like a character actor, right? <laughs> like he, yeah. We'll see how he can get into character and still maintain the lightness that was in the others. <laughs> and then Vin Diesel, I guess, is coming back to do, or is coming to do Groot in this film so I don't know how they're going to incorporate Groot in this one I don't know if it's just going to be a guest appearance for a little while but I assume it has to be like just the very beginning of the movie there's no way that Guardians like of the Galaxy is going to be in the whole thing yeah because like uh, they were set up to join like, like Thor was with them the as Guardians of the Galaxy at the beginning uh, at the very end of Avengers Endgame right. so I assume you're just going to see that happen and then and them drop them off yeah basically <laughs> unless they're in the whole movie I would not complain a couple other movies that Taika Waititi has in development. So currently they announced a sequel to What We Do in the Shadows that I previously talked about called Werewolves. And uh, this is just a sequel that he's helping write with Jermaine Clements. Uh, there's been no talk of really anything about development in terms of any progress updates. I know this is something that was announced back in August 2015. So it's been going on for a while. Yeah, it could be one of those that just has a tentative plan or just an up in the air plan that, oh, we're going to do a sequel, but uh, not necessarily anything fleshed out yet or anything real coming anytime soon. In May 2019, he even said like, he likes to refer to it as the movie that they keep pretending that they're making. Yeah. So it seems like this might not be something that come to fruition, (laughs) especially as Taika becomes more in demand by Hollywood. And I think that makes sense to be honest (laughs) i think there's bigger in my opinion personal opinion uh, i think there's bigger and better things that can be done uh i know another movie he was working on akira uh was in development but this got uh put on hold it seems like indefinitely this type of pushed it aside to work on mexico wins then he pushed aside for thor love and thunder and now he has announced another project that will come after thor love and thunder it seems and uh, it's pretty exciting news. I know for the both of us, he is announced to be making the next Star Wars film, which is very exciting, especially seeing his track record now with Thor Ragnarok and his ability to effortlessly give character depth, which I think the Star Wars movie franchise is missing a lot of. Make Star Wars great um, again. What's the time period you'd like to see this kind of focus in on? 
and what's the type of story you'd want to see told within the Star Wars movie? I don't know. I don't think I'm tethered to any specific time period or any specific story or characters that I want want him to focus on. I just want him to make it how he would make it. You know, I want him to make it in that tone, lighthearted, but not corny or like not Disneyed up like episode nine was or uh, like just Thor a Ragnarok? plot that, yeah, like the Ragnarok, something that makes sense, the plot that makes sense, characters that get developed throughout the film and throughout, you know, if there's multiple iterations of a film. I just want to see something that has good characters is it, overall is, I think, the most important thing, especially with Star Wars film and, you know, good world building, which obviously started to work on pretty well with Thor Ragnarok and Judge Rabbit. I agree. I don't have any preference on what I want to see, but I know what I don't want to see, and what I don't want to see is anything I've previously seen. Yeah. Just do something different. Well, he also did a few episodes of The Mandalorian. Uh, he directed a few yeah. episodes there. So he's dipped his feet a little bit in, in the Star Wars universe. and Working with Dave Filoni. His episodes are pretty good. So <laughs> Yeah, he did the season finale. He directed that for Star Wars The Mandalorian. And also played one of the robot bounty hunters. Of course. Which is pretty cool. Because, of course, he always stars in anything that he directs. I'm excited to see... Taika really just doubled down on sci-fi, which is my favorite uh, type of movie, and uh, to really just take everything again. I I see no reason why he wouldn't continue to grow. I don't see any reason why that Star Wars movie would it not be the best of his movies, just because he just continues to take what he learns from the films that he works on and just add in and fix things and like fix the crevices of those movies. So uh, I'm very excited to see what he does with Star Wars. Yeah, I think he's got a pretty bright future ahead of him. One other quick thing that he also has in development in regards to television is uh, he signed a Netflix deal to help develop some Roland Dahl. Right, that's the name, Roland Dahl? Roland Dahl. Sure. Roland sure. Dahl. Uh, it's, I have no idea how to pronounce it better. Developed some of his books into TV series for Netflix. Two of them that he's working on as director, writer, and executive producer, and a showrunner is charlie and the chocolate factory and then an oompa loompa spinoff i'm very curious to see what it's, comes it's from very taika what do you do to make an oompa loompa spinoff <laughs> <laughs> it's i can't imagine a better fit for oompa loompas than taika watiti specifically just playing all of them <laughs> but I, i'll be very curious to see what comes from this it's, it's cool just to see, again see him kind of stick his toes in the water with multiple different types of properties you have you know your marvel thor and you have your sci-fi star wars movies and then you have your more indie films like max gold wins and jojo rabbit and then you also have like just animated children like things like traveling chocolate factory and oompa loompas so I'm, I'm very excited to see what all he makes i, I think he's kind of dipping into a lot of different types of projects so i'm certain we'll get something unique from one of them yeah i like that he's not typecast in any specific thing like he's not it's not oh come and do a mockumentary for us not come and do a i mean they are doing another thor film but it's not like okay now you're only gonna do superhero films it's just okay now he's gonna do an oompa loompa movie or oompa loompa show yeah so it's he's he's all over the map but in a good way for sure is there anything else you'd like to talk to with taiko atiti i think that's about it this is all the time we have for this week's episode on taiko atiti overall i'd say he's a phenomenal director check out all of his movies maybe with the exception of eagle versus shark although if you're a diehard fan or you're really interested in seeing where he got to start from it's a good place to go if i had an order to that i'd recommend watching it in i'd say 
watch it in the order that he released his movies because I think you'll appreciate a lot of where he takes certain inspiration or certain characters and the types of things that he grows on from it. Any other closing thoughts, Amp, before we close out? No, just a unique uh, director with his own vision. Excited to see what's coming up and definitely watch watch all of them except the other show. I was going to say watch Tough Will People, Thor, Ragnarok, and Joe Rabbit, but I think Boys uh, and What We Do in the Shadows is also well worth a watch. So, yeah, I, I think, um, I don't know, that's it. <laughs> that's it for me. Well, that's, as I said, that's all the time we've got. Uh, next time, we're going to be shining our focus shot onto James Cameron's cinema career. Now, having learned from this episode with Taika Waititi, I think it'll be best if we divide the episode into two, how we approach these movies, because I'd really like to get really into the deets with this director, uh, James Cameron, who you might call the greatest director of all time, at least from a box office perspective. This man just apparently prints gold. So uh, we'll be covering the first few movies of his career. Piranha 2, The Terminator, Aliens, The Abyss. Some 80s camera. If you'd Cameron like to join in up. on the conversation, uh, feel free to go ahead and watch those four movies and uh, tune into our podcast where we discuss James Cameron's life, career, and the films that he's created thus far. Thanks for listening. Thank you. 